Church, we have a reading from the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. And God's word says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg, not no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble in fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they, we escape if we reject him who warns him, rewards from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has, has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for out of God is a consuming fire. Amen, Lord. This is God's words. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your words where they're so encouraging. They give us hope. They inspire us to know that you are a living God who will one day shake the entire world in your return. Father, we know that your words will speak to us in an intimate way, so we pray that the words that are going to be given to us from Chris be one about you. As we continue our worship, may we be in awe of your words. May we continue as we sit and listen to focus only on you because you deserve it, Father. We pray for these services. We pray for this time in your heavenly name. Amen. Amen. Well, as you can tell, we kind of got a liquid sermon there. His word speaks a better word. It's screaming out with life. And, and, and I don't know if you realize this, but we are only two weeks away from finishing the book of Hebrews. It's been an incredible journey. We've been walking through it. Next week will be kind of the final closing up of uh, the book of Hebrews, going through chapter 13. And so um, just to give you a little bit of insight to kind of where we have been and kind of where we're going, I want to show you this kind of sermon graphic right here, right? So this little sermon graphic shows you like um, we started in Exodus, right? And we've seen that Exodus has kind of overlapped with the book of Hebrews in many, many different ways. And then after that, we're going to be heading next into this idea of the kingdom of God. So far over the last three years, we've been kind of building out this idea of God creating a people for his glory, and all of that is kind of summed up. If you go to First Peter, 
uh, chapter 2. All of this kind of idea of what we've been doing over the last three years is summed up in um, these verses. It says this in chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. That God is creating a people for his own possession. Sons and daughters he's been adopting into his kingdom. And what we're going to do next is talk about how do we live in the kingdom of God. How does the book of Hebrews overlap this idea of the kingdom? So, so we're going to head into Matthew where Jesus is going to say the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in the field. The kingdom of God is like this. And we're going to see Jesus as this blessed king. And then we're going to go back and look at David, right, the shepherd king. And we're going to see how David started this idea of the, of the kingship of Christ. And in the line of David, Jesus would be born. And then who knows where we go next? Maybe Daniel, all these beasts and all these crazy things happening with these earthly kingdoms. Or maybe we go into the book of Revelation and talk about the heavenly kingdom coming back and, and all of those different ways. We don't know. That's several years down the road. But we have a plan. We have a plan to talk about the kingdom of God. Now, actually, the plan looks more like this. A, a little bit more over um, linking than you might think. Because we started with Mark in 1 Timothy about what it meant to be a disciple. What discipleship truly look like so that when we bring someone in the kingdom of God, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded. What does that process look like? And then we see these interactions. Now, I wish you could, uh, maybe I should have zoomed it in, but this, inner, this overlapping of, of Hebrews and Exodus is the reason that we're in this book, right? In Hebrews chapter 3, talking about Moses. And you'll just have to believe me that these little tiny little red words on the screen, right? I'm going like Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 6, which talked about apostasy. Don't be like the Israelites and the way they treated God. And go through all that. Now, Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. Go back in the tabernacle. All these incredible links together. And you might be thinking like, oh, well, it's good to know you have a plan, and that's nice, right? But the reason I'm showing you all this is because we are right here. Today, in Hebrews chapter 12, we are in this little slice in the middle where all the Venn diagrams interconnect, where we see the book of Exodus colliding with the Hebrews, colliding with the kingdom of God, all in this little bitty section of 18 through 29, so that we can sort of see all these things come together, and it's going to sort of be the trampoline launch into what we get into next. So let's jump into it. This is Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to sort of see some pictures begin to... So did everybody bring their imagination? Okay, you got to have your imagination today, right? To bring it with you, because I'm, I'm going to have, we have some imagery going on today in this picture. So here it is, verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble 
with fear. And so the author of Hebrews is taking us back into Exodus chapter 19. Do you remember, after we had gotten through the Red Sea, the Egyptians had been drowned, and they, they got through, and they ended up at Mount Sinai, this scene took place that just shook the Israelite people to the courts. It's Exodus chapter 19. And we'll go back to it. On, on the morning of the third day, a lot of interesting stuff happening there, but we already did the Exodus series. We'll keep going. All right. Third day, there were thunders and lightning. Are you picturing it? Right here. I want you to picture right here. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but when you read the Bible, sometimes aren't you like, on the morning the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain. Is that how you read the Bible? This is pretty intense. This is going to be pretty exciting. So I want you to picture right here, what is that mountain that's being described Look like, right? On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And Mount, now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. At the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Woo! Are you picturing it? Maybe it looks something like this, like this picture of just a mountain, like a volcano on fire, like lava, smoke, just all these kind of just different, different things that are happening, right? Did you notice that um, this is probably the first complaint about a loud church service ever, right? Because all the trumpets are blaring and everybody's like, no, we don't want it, right? So it's kind of the first time uh, talking to the sound guy, he's up there looking around for him, right? Uh, what's going on? Like, this is intense. God speaking in thunder, like, you've heard thunder and the, the rumble that it gives. This is the scene that they're standing before. Is this how you picture God? Do you picture God as the judge, ready to judge? Here is the mountain, Mount Sinai, just ready. Because if you think about it, when you think about God with us, what, what sort of picture comes to mind? Do you think about the garden, right? He walked in the cool of the day with them in the garden, right? And they're, they're walking with God, having conversation with God, but then sin came in. And now we see this picture of Mount Sinai. God comes down to the mountain and it looks like lava overflowing the mountain. Fire, smoke, rumbling, trembling, all those things. But then Jesus came and he walked as we walk. He was tempted as we were tempted, but without sin. And he walked among us. But then he said, crazy, it's better for me to go away because then I'll send you the helper. So that now God lives inside of us. What? The God on that mountaintop, fire, trembling, that God lives in you. He's a consuming fire. What, what, what is he going to overflow in your life and burn up that you need to deal with? Right, so we see this sort of picture of God. How do you picture God as the one walking with you? as the one that's living in you and through you. Because what we're going to see in our picture today is that we have Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, we have the Ten Commandments. Because remember, Moses goes up, he gets the Ten Commandments, right? And maybe you see that thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. That's kind of how you picture God. But in a second, we're going to see 
the true picture of God, this author of Hebrews saying, remember, Jesus is better. He's greater. He's the great high priest. He's the perfect pattern of faith for us. Let me show you what it's going to look like someday when you get to experience him. So he opens it up here in Hebrews next. Let me flip back to it in chapter 12 uh, with this saying. But you have come to Mount Zion. So here's Mount Zion. Here's the picture, Mount Sinai, rumbling fire. Here's Mount Zion, right? The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So this is a mountain of light. He's going to describe to us and sort of contrast with us these two different mountains. Remember, out of darkness into his marvelous light, where maybe on this mountain we see to live is Christ, to die is gain. Maybe that's the top level of this little mountain trail, right? Or maybe the next one is Galatians 2.20, right, which is I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right, that we get to the point where it doesn't matter. Christ is going to live through me in this. Or maybe it's John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him has eternal life. Maybe that's what you see upon this mountain. We're going to see this sort of comparison. And then just to warn you to look ahead, and he's going to say to you, which one do you pick? Which one do you want to be around? That's the question that's coming in verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Here's Mount Zion. Here's Mount Sinai. Your turn to choose. Right? So he's going to lay that out. So we're going to compare and contrast these throughout the book. He's going to give us seven different ways that we can compare and contrast. The first way is this. Mount Sinai is a mountain of works. Right? It's what you do. It's the law. It matters what you do and how you earn the favor of God by doing this sacrifice, by doing this thing and doing that thing. Right? Amount of works where this is the gospel. This is you are going to be a new creation. The, we sang that line in the song, right? He's rewriting my history. That who you were isn't who you are. Right? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That what's happened to you or what you have done doesn't have to define you anymore. Isn't that the good news of the gospel? Because some of us, I don't know about you, we got some junk back there. Right? We got a trailer in the back with baggage. Right? We don't have like one little carry-on baggage. Right? We got a, a U-Haul of baggage from our life. But Jesus said like, hey, don't bring that with you. I, I got new clothes I got new things for you that are of the light. I'm going to redefine you. I have a a destiny. I have a a purpose and a plan for you. That's the good news of the gospel. So do we rely on our works, how good we are, or do we rely on the Son of God and the gospel message that's being presented to us? And so he's going to present these two things contrasting. Look what he says next. We'll start in the front of 22 again. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Now, that's a really cool one and kind of a tongue twister, right? But imagine this. In heaven, in Mount Zion, in this heavenly Jerusalem, there are innumerable angels celebrating. So here, Mount Zion, we have fear and terror. They're standing before the mountain in fear, covering their ears. They don't want to be there. Yet in Zion, there's love, 
forgiveness. There's celebrations, right? Think about about the festivals in the Old Testament, celebrating the Passover, remembering all these beautiful things. Today we do it through weddings, right? Get to celebrate weddings. This afternoon I get a chance to do um, a wedding for Cameron. and, And Gracie was here first service. By the way, ERT hopefully didn't take you down. I told him that our, the bride was here. She's getting married this afternoon. And she's like, I want to worship the Lord today. So she was here in first service, and we had to warn the ERT that if Cameron showed up, we're taking him out. Cannot see her on the wedding day, right? But they're here at church because they want to bring Jesus into this, right? And if you, weren't, if you don't get to go to the wedding, here's what it says. They want their marriage to be the light of the world. God and the church, what a picture of unity and oneness as of being the light. This is this idea of festival God. Now, in heaven, we're going to celebrate. We're not just little babies on clouds with harps. We get to celebrate. We get to have fun. We get to enjoy the, all the glory of the Lord in heaven through this picture. In fact, um, if we go back into uh, Psalm 118, we see sort of a mention of this, these festal celebrations in 118. It says this. I'm going to start in verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Woo! Some good stuff. This stuff we've got to listen to in the morning. Woo! Then he says, bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. He's talking about the Day of Atonement. He's talking about this day set aside by God where they would bring the lamb and they would, they would tie it with the festal cords to the altar because this lamb was going to die for the sins of the people. And it's just a type. It's a shadow because who was going to come later? Jesus. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John would proclaim. This is a picture of Jesus. And we're going to see this celebration of that because we don't have to hold our sins anymore. God has forgiven us of that. And then he says this, you are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God and I will extol you. I will give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. That's what we get to live in in heaven. Like easy choice, right? We'll see as we go. Because it should be. An easy choice as we go, right? So do you want fear and terror or do you want love and forgiveness and celebration? Then he says this next in verse 23, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Because remember, Mount Sinai, it's in the desert. It's in the wilderness. And what happens at Mount Sinai is they begin to wonder, They're alone. They're lost. They're just wandering aimlessly. But yet, with God, it's the city of the living God. We have an opportunity to be in fellowship. So those in Christ who have died before us, they're awaiting us in heaven. This is the good news of the gospel, that the relationships that you make are things that are eternal. There's two things that we know for sure from Scripture are eternal. One is the word of God endures forever. So we study the word of God because we're not wasting our time. It's something that's eternal. But also the relationships that you forge in the family of God is something that you're going to continue to be able to forge for eternity with God in heaven someday. And so we get a chance to celebrate with them in heaven. And then it says this next, and to God, the judge of all. Now, if God is your judge, how does that make you feel? Just think about this real quick. Bounce it around your head. If I said, God is your judge, how does that make you feel? Good or bad? Just think about it for a second. 
if you think of God being your judge negatively, you're picturing God as Mount Zion. I mean, Mount Sinai. You're picturing a God of fury and wrath instead of picturing a God who has already paid the price for you. Because, see, when you're wrongly accused, you welcome the judge. When the world is rejecting you, but the judge is righteousness, you go before him because he is the one who declares you righteous. But we tend to think of God as the judge of Mount Sinai holding these things over our head instead of these things being a guide for us so we can walk in the light, walk in that freedom. So, like, think back to, um, like, Ecclesiastes chapter 14. Right? When you think back to Ecclesiastes, we see this picture of the judge. It says, for, the, for God will bring every deed to judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. Ooh. Did you hear it? With God, there are no secret things. That you can keep secrets from us as the body of Christ, even though God encourages us, confess your sins to one another for healing. That in order to get things out of the darkness, you bring them into light and then you help other people. Other people will help you clean them up. We'll help deal with your junk. We love you. But we have these secret things. But with God, there are no secret things. And he's going to bring those things to the light. Because the darkness to God is like the day. What is darkness to God? He is the light. There is no darkness in him. So there are no secret things with him. Stop hiding things away in the back room of your mind and trying to lock the door, pretending like God can't get in there. He's in there. He's everywhere. Instead, open the door. Let it air out a little bit, right? Let's get some bleach. Let's get in there. Let's clean this thing out. Let's get ourselves healthy. Before you ignoring your sin is not making you more healthy. You ignoring the things that are in your life that are going wrong is not going to make you more healthy. Dealing with it, getting closure Walking in freedom, that's, that's Mount Zion. This is a picture of God bringing things into the light that is beautiful for us. Right? And then, if we can do that, Matthew 7 applies. Then we judge not, because by the manner that we judge others, it's going to be put back upon us. Right? Do we really want to judge others if we knew that's the same standard that we would choose? Because, guys, if we're honest... Every single day, you could hate someone. Right? Every single day? I mean, I drive the same road for 23 straight years. They still haven't fixed that pothole. 23 years. Oh, city of Kyle, right? I mean, I could be so angry and frustrated every single day that I drive that road. Here comes a semi-truck out of a neighborhood. New neighborhood. Oh, I remember when there was only Fonzie's. There was only Dairy Queen here. Right? Not all these subdivisions. There wasn't even a Plum Creek when I moved here in the beginning, right? Oh, every day you can find a reason to hate someone. Your spouse, your kids, every day. You can find a reason, right? They weren't that nice to you. They gave you a side glance. I mean, every day you can find a reason. They didn't text me back soon enough. They didn't, I mean, every day if you want to. Or every day when those things come up, you show grace, forgiveness. Every day when those things up, you choose to love people, despite people. Because, guys, listen, they're loving you, despite you. They're loving me, despite me. So why don't we make this something that we love one another instead of judge one another? This is what we want to live. If we want to live as Christians, as people of faith, then we forgive. Remember that thing we had talked about last week? 
It's a root of bitterness. We should have no root of bitterness. Right? We uproot that and we let the Lord and his word produce good fruit in us through that. Right? So that's the encouragement that we see here. And that God being our judge, if he's a righteous judge, we should not be scared to go before him. Then it says this, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Whew. I don't know about you, but that feel, I feel really far from that. I feel really far from perfect, right? I mean, if I look at my life, I'm like, oh, I'm, I fall short. In fact, we all fall short of the glory of God, don't we? Yet, in Christ, we're being made perfect. I'm a few pages ago, back in uh, Hebrews chapter 9, or Hebrews 10, verse 14, he said this. I don't know if you remember this, but again, all of the book of Hebrews ties in so beautifully this idea. It says, for by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Woo! That in God's sight, you've been made perfect. Isn't that beautiful? That when we get before God, he doesn't pull up our list. That he sees Jesus. Woo! Good news. Okay. We'll keep going. Um, then he says this next. Verse uh, 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Who was the mediator at Mount Sinai? Moses. And Moses, although just a man, he was a great mediator, but he still didn't get to enter into the promised land. He died short of the promised land. So Moses, as amazing as he was as a mediator, he didn't enter the rest. But yet for us, we have Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. The the son of God is our mediator. Where is Jesus right now? Seated at the right hand of God. Isn't that a good place to have your mediator? Sitting by the judge's side. Oh, I paid for that one already. Oh, yeah, but he's, I've already paid that already. Jesus is our mediator. Isn't that good news? That it isn't based upon us. We're standing before him hopeless, but in God, we've been made new. We have hope. We have assurance in him. All these things we've been talking about through the book of Hebrews. And then it says this, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Because remember, Abel had brought a sacrifice, a good sacrifice, and he died a righteous man by his brother's hatred and his brother's anger. And God told Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Sin wasn't crouching anymore. It pounced, right? And yet Abel, even in his offering, even dying in his righteousness, Jesus speaks a better word. That the blood of Christ in the new covenant has taken our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. That we can be made new. He's the perfect sacrifice. Such a beautiful picture of all these things. So then we come to verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. So let me ask you, do you want to choose the light? Do you want to choose the gospel? Because I don't know about you, there's a line in that song that we sang today um, that was like, worthy of every breath I will ever breathe. Did you mean that? Because think about the implications of that. If God is worthy of every breath that I take, that means that as long as my feet move, as long as I'm on this earth, he's worthy of me. He's worthy of my time my words, my effort, he's worthy of all of those things. That means that we're never done serving the Lord, being his ambassadors to the world, being his light to the world. We're never done as long as we keep breathing. 
So we want to choose this. We want to choose the gospel. Or do you want to choose to rely on yourself and your good works, which breeds pride, which brings about death? Today, you've got to choose. Choose this day who you will serve. The gospel with every breath or yourself, for your own works, under your own power. That's the choice that's put before us. Because he says this, he, he kind of warns us a little bit and kind of gives us hope and warning in this next part. It says, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. Listen, you know all of this, that Jesus is better. He's greater. You know that he's the great high priest. You know he's the perfect pattern. Choose today. You know. We have no excuse. We have to choose. And then verse 26 says, At the the time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. It said at Mount Sinai everything was shaking, right? But then once more is God going to shake the entire earth and the heavens. He's actually quoting from Haggai chapter 2. In in Haggai chapter 2, we see them rebuilding the temple. Remember, Solomon's temple had been destroyed. And Solomon's temple was layered in gold. There was gold and and glory and splendor everywhere, but it got destroyed. And now they're going back and they're rebuilding it from the rubble. And and as they're rebuilding it, everybody's sad. They're like, this doesn't look as good as that did. This isn't as beautiful as that did. And then he's but. God is encouraging, like, be strong. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all of these people, because I am going to shake the earth once more. And and he quotes this verse right here. He says, I'm going to shake the earth once more, and everything is going to be different. Look what he says in verse 27. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, building on the foundation of Christ with gold or silver or precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble. You build with these things, and when the fire comes, God is our consuming fire, what's going to remain? Only those things that are valuable. All the hay and the stubble and all the wood that's going to be burned up. So build with things that are precious. The world's going to be shaken all that remains is God. And we've been shaken sometimes with our trials, with things around us. And then you find out what's really in you. When that trial hits, you find out what is really there with the Lord. I don't know how many of y'all have a dog. Anybody have a dog that, get, that gets wet? Like when your dog gets wet in the rain, do you let it right back in the house? No, why? It's going to shake, right? It's going it's to get rid of the water, right? And all the water, if you're in the general radius of that, you're going to get wet, right? Because that dog's going to shake, and it's going get to get off. The, imagine the world is going to shake. Only what's pure will remain. Hmm. Keep that thought in the back of our head, right? Then it says this in verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Whew, so good. We have built our feet on the rock. We're not easily shaken. 
that the things of this world, when they come against us, the wind, the rain, the floods, man, my house is built on the rock. It's not built on the sand. I'm solid. This foundation is sure. Build your life upon the love of Christ. And regardless of what happens in your life, you're going to be okay. You might lose everything, but you have Christ. And what else matters? Let's be honest. What else matters besides having Jesus Christ? Because that's the key to eternity. I know, I know. I like my stuff too. I really do. And listen, I know how crazy it is. Mount Sinai, God in all of his power and all of his glory on the mountain. And yet what does Moses come down to at the Ten Commandments? Do, 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 do. A golden calf. God on the mountain in fire and thunder and lightning, and they worship a golden cow. What? How? How can we do that? Yet, we see the heavens declare the glory of God. We see God moving all around us, and yet we take our eyes off of it for this thing. It's shiny, and I like it. Our sin pulls us in. Even though the God of the universe has said, I adopted you as a son. Oh, man, let me unpack that U-Haul real quick. Let me get some of my stuff out. But listen, our God is a consuming fire. Our God is going to burn those things up. And what should our response be to hearing these things? What should our response be? Thankfulness. Let me ask you this question. Would you be thankful if God came in and he consumed everything in your life that wasn't God? He's a raging fire. And everything in your heart, every bitterness, every anger, all those things that were there, he burns it up and takes it away. Would you invite that? Would you be thankful? Lord, yes, come into my life. Take away everything that isn't of you, even if it's really hard. Even if I really love this job, what if, even if I love this sin, even if I really love these things, are we inviting God to take it away because he's consuming fire? Woo! Be careful praying that one. It, it's bold. It'll change you. It'll wreck you because you might have built a lot of your life with hay and stubble, not real things that you built your life on. It's a challenge. God is a consuming fire because he wants us to be pure and wholly devoted to him. Here's a second response. Worship, right? Look what he said. This is back in verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and with awe. With reverence, meaning giving God the proper respect that he deserves. Honoring him with everything and then with awe and wonder. What an incredible God. What an incredible God that we have a chance to be in relationship with. Man, what an honor we have to be with him. Now, now, now if you're old school and you like the like, alliteration of it all, right, you need appreciation, admiration, and awe. There's your, like, Baptist preacher, three points that all start with the same letter for the day, okay? Actually, for the month. Well, it's the semester, right? That's your same letter thing for that, right? But we should be appreciative of what the Lord has done for us giving him the reverence and awe that he deserves in worship. So let me ask you, this is the question was there. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. So to choose today whom we will serve. I want to encourage you, invite the consuming fire into your life. 
although it's painful in the short term, it's going to be joyful at the end. As he takes away things from your life that are not doing you good and he replaces them with things that are better. But that process challenging. So I want to encourage you in that. Let's choose the light. Let's choose the gospel. Let's choose Mount Zion. Not being scared of approaching God, but being joyfully in relationship with him. Lord, I thank you for this word from um, Hebrews, Lord, as you've just shown us that you have given us a kingdom that is not easily shaken. Lord, oh, what an incredible thing it is to be able to stand on the rock. That even when hard things happen and these terrible things in our life happen, Lord, we have you. That, Lord, when it all burns up, we just have Jesus. So I thank you that you have given us entry into your kingdom, that you have died on the cross for our sins. Lord, help us remember the gospel day by day, never forgetting our first love. So as we go into the world out there, that is not so stable. Help us to walk in the light as you are in the light. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Uh, we have a couple of verses that we want to share with you as you uh, make your way out. Uh, but before we do that, I wanted to ask our sister Yolanda and Sandra, she oversees our women's ministry, if they can come on up front. As you know, we've been wanting to invite you. We've been inviting you over the last few weeks for a time of prayer. Um, and we want to um, do that again today. So if you uh, have just been listening to the sermon and have been felt moved in your spirit, perhaps the Lord has been challenging you to let some things go. Uh, maybe someone has come to you with a word and it's like, that really upset me and you want to release that. Or maybe the Lord is challenging you to um, share a word with someone. Uh, do you, how are you going to do that? You know, this is the way that you can do it. You sort of get surrounded by your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Let's pray over you so that you can go and speak in such a manner as Paul is described. Um, and, and this is what he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And then he goes on to say, as he's going to go and visit with the, the church of Corinth, What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? So let's... Let's go out there, um, come be prayed. I'll be um, in the back. Chris will be here. But if the Lord is challenging you to go and speak to someone, well, let's bathe it in prayer so that you can go in the spirit of love and in gentleness. God bless you. Have a good week.